wanna welcome all of our campuses to week one of our brand new series entitled Not Alone. Come on, let's just welcome all those that are joining us. So excited to have our Baton Rouge campus, South Shore, Gulf Coast. Every week, I love to welcome all the men and women in the St. Tammany Parish Jail and the Orleans Justice Center as well. We are excited, uh, kicking off week one of a series. You know, every year after Easter, I'll do a series uh, on relationships. And, uh, and I just want to say this. I want to qualify. It's not five weeks on marriage. I'm going to touch on that today. Uh, matter of fact, in a couple weeks, it's either next week or the following week, I'm going to do one on singles. 50% of our population, uh, not only in our culture, even in our church, a lot of single people. So I'm going to be talking about uh, singles. I'm going to talk about relationship with God, relationship with one another, how to develop redemptive relationships with those that are not Christ followers, the importance of community and connection. We live in a culture that is increasingly fragmenting us. We think that we're connected based upon technology, but we actually have less face time than ever before. How do we, how do we stay connected in a disconnected culture? How, how do we do the biblical patterns of connecting with one another? It's funny, Pastor David Garmo, uh, who I love, uh, he, he has this line, and I, I love it. He says, you know, he and Chris are going over to this couple's house to sit and visit. How many of you know we don't go sit and visit with anybody anymore? Now, I know that may be a little bit of a country term. Everybody say sit and visit. That almost sounds like, are you even being productive? How many of you know that's biblical? How many of you know Jesus at the last meal, I don't know, let me get my grammar right. He sat and visited. He connected. Everybody say connection. There is every current in our culture fighting against you and I, connecting, yes, with God, but also with one another. How do we, how do we as Christ followers learn how to connect and do it God's Way. So I'm very excited about this series. I do want to say, today I'm going to touch a little bit on marriage. Reminds me of the story of this little girl, Susie. She was up. She came home from, from preschool, and she learned this story of Snow White. She was all excited. She told her mom, Mommy, you, you won't believe this. I heard this story today, and it's so exciting. She goes, well, honey, what happened? She goes, well, Prince Charming. Mommy, Prince Charming arrived on this beautiful white horse and kissed Snow White. And Susie said, you know what happened next? And of course, the mom, she said, well, yes, I know. They lived happily ever after. Little Susie said, no, mom, I think they just got married. I'll let that sink in just a little bit. I can't tell you the times as a pastor. I, I used to was able to do more you know, ceremonies. Of course, we preach all weekend now, but looking in the eyes of a young couple and they're just beaming and excited. And I'll say a line like this, something like, by the authority vested in me uh, as a representative of Jesus Christ and the state of Louisiana, I now pronounce you man and wife. You know, and, and there's this, this moment where, where I'll declare you know, that you were to live happily ever after. Do you think that any newlywed has any thought in their mind about what they're actually walking into? I'm not suggesting that's a negative. I'm simply saying there's an excitement, there's a passion, there's a fire, there's a thing. But then, but then life starts happening. And you start having children. You start having responsibilities. How many of y'all remember when you were married, those of you that are married or were married, how many of you know, remember that time when you and your spouse would take naps on Sunday afternoon? <laughs> Wasn't that fun? Those newlyweds, man, what are y'all doing today? I don't know, we're just gonna go eat by the lake and we're gonna take a nap. 
That like happened 20 years ago for me. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking. A nap. Then you have a child and you don't have naps. Of course, you know, one's not as hard. Let's just be honest. And then you have two children. Oh man, you're getting big time. Well, you can still pay man-to-man coverage right there. You take one, I got one. Man-to-man coverage. Then, then you have another child. Then you just kind of go zone defense. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Then you have another, you have four. You just don't, you play deep thirds. Just don't get burned. Just don't get burned. Just don't get burned. Just, just back it up. Don't, let them do whatever they want in front. Just don't, don't, go, don't let them score a touch. Come on, y'all with me? You add a little financial stress, a little financial pressure, job change, having to move a little bit, downsides, whatever happens, and all of a sudden, that thought, that thought of happily ever after is threatened. Adjustments start happening. Things start happening. You turn the clock forward, and now the thought of that concept, happily ever after. And we have to fight for staying connected. We have to fight for the ideal and the, and the purpose of God. We have to fight for, 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 for what it meant, why, why we said yes, why, why, why we chose one another. Nobody put a gun to our head and made us do this. And now we're, we're in it. And, and so what happens and, 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 and how do we navigate? Matter of fact, if I, did a satis- if I did a marital satisfaction poll, if I did that this morning, I believe there'd be three categories. Number one, some of you would say, Pastor, I'll be honest, our marriage is just off the charts. Things are great. I mean, I mean it doesn't mean that we don't have bumps, but by and large, there's a, there's a general fulfillment that we're experiencing. Number two, some of you would say, it's kind of average at best. I mean, we're, 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 we're there. We're definitely not experiencing the bliss that we anticipated on the front end. I mean, we don't want to exit. We're not looking to tap out. But it's not what, what I believe it could be. Some of you are saying, you know what, Pastor, I know that you do this series every year right after Easter, and we've come because we know that if God doesn't do a miracle, we're not sure we're going to make it. And the reason why, the reason why people on that continuum get to either bucket two or three is I believe there are some what I would call fairy tale busters. In other words, there's some things that happen that maybe we didn't anticipate. By the way, we try to do, we do premarital counseling in the church. We try to set people up for success as much as they can, much as we can to help them, to minister, to serve you guys. But there's still these fairy tale busters. I want to give you five. Number one, let me give you the first fairy tale buster. And that's what I would call it. It's this. It's difficult adjustments. You never realized that, that, that when you got married, you didn't marry somebody like yourself. Oh, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, you know, they came, your spouse, their family growing up, it was like Little House on the Prairie. But your family was like the Jerry Springer show. You know what I'm talking about? You only had one volume in your house. It was loud. You know what I'm talking about? You resolve things by who could scream the loudest and dominate the rest. You, you know what I mean? And there's these adjustments that happen. I never thought that this was going to happen. And what about this? And you like this, and I like that. And all of these things. And well, you're a, you're a spender, but they're a saver. And they feel like the, the ultimate in life is how much that they can save. And you're like, yeah, but the point of that, isn't there at some level for good stewardship for us to actually enjoy it? And then the other one's like, all they want to do. And so there's all these things that go back and forth. And some of you, again, some of you have a blended family, and there's challenges there. There's great blessing, but there's great challenges attached to that. Matter of fact, I, I said this when I was doing a series a number of years ago. I, 
I said at the beginning of, uh, of a relationship series, and I'll usually do one talk of marriage, and, and I said, now for all of the single people here, and I'll say it again to you guys, for all the single at all of our campuses that are listening to me, here's what I would say. I would say, uh, listen, number one, percentage is, is that you will be married. Some of you will be married again. I had a lady from the back scream out, not me, pastor. <laughs> she yelled it out in, 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 in service. But if the Lord wills and God puts it in your heart, if you're married again, and, and if you have children, there's a difficulty attached. Isn't that right? Well, that's my child. What time? You better not. Hold on. Be, wait, wait, wait. And so there's, there's adjustments. Let me give you another fairy tale buster that we've got to be aware of. is an inability to resolve conflict. An inability to resolve conflict. A very famous professor and social scientist at the University of Washington. His name's John Gottman. Actually, I think we put this on the notes, or, or I put it. Here's, here's what he said. This is important. By the way, Dr. James Dobson said this. It's not conflict that destroys a marriage. A conflict-free, by the way, a conflict-free marriage is an illusion. If there's no conflict, somebody's hiding. Are y'all with me? But it's conflict followed by what? Say it. Resolution. How do you resolve conflict? Listen to what Dr. Gottman said. The inability to resolve small conflicts is more destructive in marriage than sexual issues, financial strain, communication. These little conflicts add up until they erupt like a broken dam. Conflict can either drive you closer together or further apart. So in other words, there's, there's, there's an ability to, I, I, on this do we want to have a battleground or a building ground? Conflict can be a good thing if we know how to resolve it biblically. If we don't, man, it can throw us, it can, it can bust us up. Let me give you another, another fairy tale buster. It's what I call performance-driven mindsets. A performance-driven mindset is when we often, and we all do this, myself included, we all do this. We often compare our strengths against our spouse's weakness. And if we're not careful, what we do in that is that we get elevated based upon how we think that we're good at something, or we get condemned based upon how we evaluate and compare our weakness against their strength. The problem is, is that comparison, Paul says they commend themselves by themselves and compare themselves among themselves, and they're not wise. How many of you know comparison never wins? And what happens in a marriage relationship? You come into a marriage relationship, and well, I'm, you know, this, and that's that. Wait, wait, time out. Have you ever thought that God's not called you to compete with one another, but to complement one another? That you're strong where they're weak, and they're weak where you're strong. And I mean, God, listen, every single one of us have strengths and weaknesses and aptitudes. And my wife and I, Jennifer and I, I mean, listen, we've gone through all of this. And the reason why I do this series, and, I've, and, I've, and I attempt to be appropriately transparent it's because we're, 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 we're walking and growing just like everybody else, and, and, and we're navigating, and I'm having to learn to, to appreciate where she's different than me. Did I say quotations? Different? Number four, another fairy tale buster is self-absorption. This type of relationship, you put a ten, the tendency is you put all the, all the emphasis on you, your body, your money, your hobbies, your needs. The problem is, is that self-absorption. Listen, nobody, nobody that is highly self-absorbed, anybody in their world, nobody walks up to them and go, you know what, the more self-absorbed you get, it's just so wonderful being around you. <laughs> You're amazing. You are awesome. 
No, you want, you want to distance yourself. Why? Because a, a self-absorbed spouse sucks the air out of the room. You know what I'm talking about. It's like, I can't fit in here. Why? Because you've sucked all the energy out of here. So whether it's a performance-driven mindset, whether it's self-absorption, whether it's difficult adjustments, whether it's an inability to resolve conflict, I've had to learn that in my marriage. All of these things, resolving conflict. My, my wife told me one time, Steve, you litigate rather than conversate. If you're married to somebody that's always litigating in conversation, in other words, they're positioning and posturing themselves to win an argument, are you with me? I mean, no, that doesn't, that doesn't work later on that night. Come on, y'all with me? You can win and lose. Let me give you the last fairy tale buster. And there's more. I'm just trying. It's extramarital affairs. What are you talking about, Pastor? Let me give you this. An extramarital affair is an escape from reality and a search of fulfillment outside of marriage. But let me qualify. There's a number of these. Number one, an emotional affair. Anybody that you have an emotional connection with of the opposite sex that supersedes and transcends your spouse, you're getting on dangerous grounds. You start getting transparent with them. You start sharing your heart. Particularly, you start sharing your heart with them about your spouse, unless it's a professional counselor that has objectivity and understands the boundaries and the rules. Here's another one, a love affair. I mean, that's full-blown, just a sexual affair. You're attempting, to, you're attempting to meet a need outside of the boundaries and the parameters that God has established. I'm telling you, it's dangerous. Here's one that I've fallen into, a career affair. I've struggled with this. What is a career affair? It's when you look for fulfillment at the office or through your job, the next deal, the next project, the next accomplishment, the next thing, at the expense of the emotional intimacy that you can have with your spouse. Again, God, I'm not advocating passivity. I believe that God is into productivity. God wants us to achieve. God wants us to push the ball down the field. But we have to be careful that we don't become over-adrenalized and we have a hook and an addiction to that feeling of adrenaline more than we are, quote, present with our spouse emotionally. Are y'all with me? So important. Here's another one. Here's another affair. It's an a materialism affair. Some people are just into stuff, things. God gives us things to appreciate but not to worship. When you look for clothes, cars, toys, any physical thing to take place to your spouse. Here's the last one, activity affair. I think we all have to be careful of this. We are busy in our culture. It's busy. Things are doing. Busy, 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 busy. Listen, I read a recent study that people are now saying they need a vacation when they get back from vacation. You know exactly what I'm talking about. The best vacations now are staycations, right, where you just sit and veg. I'm exhausted. Why? You need a vacation. I just got back. We have an activity affair. What happens is that we can be so busy and things and so, so, so we've moved from a sit and visit culture to a move and accomplish everything that you can in like two hour culture. And I think that we've lost some emotional intimacy in the process. Our first affection should be for Christ. Our second affection should be for our spouse. Our first affection, you shall love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind. Our first should be for Christ, to love Christ. Our number two should be for our spouse. And that produces, by the way, a secure home. That produces something in our children, by the way. It produces something inside of you. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to jump into the scripture. I'm going to lay a foundation. How can we have a marriage, how can we be a marriage master? 
rather than a marriage disaster. And I want to say that respectfully. I know there's so many people that have had broken marriages, but I want to just say this. Let's do it right. Let's learn how to do it God's way. Pastor, are you an expert? I'm no marriage expert, by the way. I'm a pastor. I teach from the Bible. I'm not doing a marriage seminar. I will say, I will say that statement that is so true, I think, for all of us. I could say for myself, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not where I used to be. Come on, can, can we just say that at all of our campuses at the count of three? One, two, three. I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not where I used to be. That's what we should say in life. What is the purpose of marriage? The purpose of marriage is not having children. What if you can't have children? Having children is a part of that. To procreate is part of that. But the purpose of marriage and God's intention is for a couple to come together, to purpose together, to, to walk together, to grow and develop. The purpose of marriage is for growth in our lives, in our souls, in our minds, in our hearts to develop. Yes, children are a part of that, but, but, but it's got to transcend and go beyond that. Let me give you the biblical picture. I believe a blueprint, a blueprint of God's design for marriage. By the way, you, you know we, we have a tendency to build buildings around here at Church of the King at all of our campuses, and, and, um, and, and, and I know what's important is, is that before you build, before you just start onto something and say, I'm just going to build, it's probably, well, it's definitely smart to look at the plans. In other words, the architects, the architect, he or she has architectural blueprints. We want to build off of the blueprints. The blueprints come from God's word. Are you with me? If you're building a marriage based upon a sitcom, based upon cultural norms, if you're building a marriage based upon, so if you just take the hammer and say, well, let's just build here. We better, in other words, we better start with God's blueprints. Let's start with the way that God intended. What is God, listen, he is the chief architect. If you have your Bible, I'm gonna ask you to open up to Genesis. I got about 16, 17 minutes. I want you to stay with me. I'm laying a foundation we're going to go back to this again. This is not five weeks on marriage. It's going to be on relationships. I will retouch marriage. I'm going to touch singleness. I'm going to touch all the different themes of relationship, even friendship. But I want to start with God's blueprint of relationship. Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to read a little bit more than I usually read. I'm going to read seven verses, verse 18 to 25. We're, what are we doing? We're laying out the biblical foundation and the blueprint for marriage, all right? Biblically speaking. Here we go. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. The Bible says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. I want to pause there just for a moment. And I'm going to talk about this when I talk about singles. The concept is relationship. Everybody say relationship. That's important. Relationship. Marriage is a relationship. All right? But you can be fulfilled as a single person through friendship, God first, and through friendship. That's very important. But the Lord said, it's not good. It's not good for any of us to be alone. And the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. Go back to the other verse. And then he says, go back to that verse 18 if you go. I will make him a helper. I'm going to unpack that just for a moment. What does it mean a helper? I'm going to talk about that just for a moment. Let me give you a little caveat. The Hebrew word for helper right here is the same word often used in the Old Testament for God himself. That's powerful. I'm going to make a helper comparable to him. Look at verse 19. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam. 
to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was his name. Verse 20. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. Verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep. Go back to 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs. Notice. One of his ribs. And closed up the flesh in a place. Verse 22. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into woman. Ish in the Hebrew, man, Isha, woman. And he brought her to the man. Verse 23. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. So she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Two more verses. Verse 24 says this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. Isn't that interesting? God puts that emphasis. And a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Everybody say one flesh. Yes, two identities, but one, spiritually speaking. There is a, there is a unity. That, it is so powerful, this picture of husband and wife. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. I want to talk to you today about God's biblical blueprint for marriage, straight out of the scripture. Three aspects of the marriage connection. Number one, the first thing I see here is that God called Adam and Eve to be partners in life. A good, healthy marriage is where the spouse sees that they are a partner in life. Genesis 2, 18, and the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone, but I will make him a helper comparably. I want to talk about that for a moment. The concept of relationship, connectedness, intimacy. What does God mean by this? What, what is God that, that he's going to make a helper? I had a guy tell me one time, says, Pastor, you know, she's just supposed to help me. And, and she almost to suggest that she was made inferior and that she was just there at his beck and call. The word helper does not speak to the woman's inferiority. It actually speaks to the man's inadequacy. Man, I mean, every woman should have shouted a big Amen. In other words, guys, let's be honest. We need some help. Come on, y'all. Like, a lot. It's not that she's just coming. No, there's a part. Everybody say partnership. Man, Adam was alone. He needed somebody comparable to him. Somebody that was strong where he was weak. Somebody that was weak where he was strong. There was a partnership. There is a, 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 a connection, a complementary relationship where they would walk together and dream together. Believe together, produce things together in life. There was such power there. It's funny, and I, I relate. I think it's funny, but it's kind of funny and sad at times. I, I, the times where Jennifer has been really upset with me, where she said, "Steve, you just you, you've tried to make me into your own image." Let me tell you where a bad marriage is. You cannot make your spouse into your own image. Are you with me? Because they're unique. They're gifted by God. You don't marry yourself. You marry someone else, and, and, and the context of a man and a woman coming together, and, and, and God putting them together, and, and they're unique, and they're different. Anybody thinks that a man and a woman are the same, you got a problem. Because I'm going to tell you right now, there are such differences, I mean dynamic differences, and I'm grateful for Jennifer. I'm grateful how, how she's, I mean, my wife is so different from me. My Lord, have mercy. Did I emphasize that enough? 
By the way, God did not take Eve out of Adam's head to be lorded over or foot to be stomped up, but out of his rib to be a partner with him to go and move throughout life. My wife is the most merciful, compassionate. She just collects animals. I mean, she just any straight dog. We have a farm in our house inside. We've had pigs. I mean, like guinea pigs. We've had things. We have cats, multiple dogs. Don't give in. In the name of Jesus, one more person from this church better not bless us with a dog. I rebuke that in Jesus' name. Is that scriptural? I don't know, but it felt good. Come on, y'all. You know what dogs and cats are good for? Your growth and sanctification. That's, you know what I'm saying? I'm just like, whoo, wow. Cats don't go to heaven. But anyway, so I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Maybe a dog, but not a cat. I know where they go. <laughs> I'm sorry. Let me get back to the Bible. Every time I get out of the Bible, things happen. Everybody say partners in life. All right, let me talk about the next thing. God's called us to be partners in love. Partners in love. Genesis 2, 22 and 23. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made in a woman, ish and isha, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Adam, listen to, listen to what I wrote down. Adam had God and all the animals. Yet there was this still, this sense of emptiness and and isolation, and God says, there's someone else. Now notice this, watch how God does this. In football, it's called an end around. It was used, they don't even use that term here, but they go, watch how God did this. Watch how God did this. God actually designed someone, notice this, watch this, not so that Adam first could be loved, but so that Adam could love. Pastor, how does God's love work? You actually receive it when you give it. I tell you right now, I'll love my spouse when they love me. It's not how it works. It doesn't work that way. You actually have to initiate it to and then to receive it. Well, Pastor, I tell you, that church of the king, you know, it's pretty good. You got the light show and all that stuff, and they're not friendly. Really? The Bible says if you want friends, you got to show yourself what? Say it. Friendly. Well, I went to a small group. Nobody talked to me. Then I went to another one. Well, then I went to another one. Well, there's only one common denominator. That's how it works in marriage. Well, I'm just waiting for her. I'm waiting for him. If they'll just do this, if they'll just do that. The, 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 there's something about initiating. Does that make sense? Initiating the connection. Initiating the love. The picture that God gives us in the Bible, the most powerful picture that God gives us to demonstrate Christ in his church. Paul the Apostle uses the analogy of Christ and the church. Christ being the groom, that's biblical language. The groom and the church being the bride, that's biblical language. The analogy comes out of the book of Genesis. Paul uses in the book of Ephesians, quoting back to the book of Genesis, in other words, the picture of the husband loving his wife is Christ loving the church. Genesis Chapter 2 is requoted in Ephesians chapter 5. Watch this. Just as Christ loved the church, well, I tell you, if my wife would just love me, just as Christ, the groom, loved the bride, just as the husband loved the bride, well, if she would just honor me, just as you lay your life down for her and gave himself for her. 
Well, I just wish he'd change. Well, I just wish she would change. There's a lot of people that are waiting for their spouse to change, but God's called us to be the change. Hold on, that was really good. I kind of made that up, but that was really good. I've been there before. I mean, you know, y'all have heard the stories, and I'm, I'm still there at times. I'm like, golly, man, I wish you Jennifer. I wish you Jennifer. And every time I start doing it, I remember that one time I, you know, praying, Lord, I, you better be talking to her too. You ever pray those prayers as a husband, as a wife? You know, you, you know, just you better be dealing with him. You better be dealing with her. They leave books by the nightstand. They do whatever, you know. And, you know, and I had this friend of mine. He goes, man, I keep leaving for my wife how to be an amazing wife. How to be. Uh, I said, how about you be an amazing husband and it'll be amazing what she turns into. Does that make sense? Five people are excited about that. I know what happened over there at Christ the King. They lost all the men in the church. My God. Pastor did a marriage deal. Now all the guys left. They're at the rodeo. But anyway. God's called us to be partners in love. We all have a tendency to hold back our love and affection from our spouse when things don't go our way. I will love you if... I will love you when. It's not how God's work. Aren't you grateful that God doesn't love us that way? I'll love you in spite. I'll love you in spite. You want to melt your spouse? Love them in spite of themselves. I'm not talking about spousal abuse. That's a whole nother category. I'm not talking about physical. No, that's a whole nother. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about emotional connection and kindness. Are y'all with me? Do I have to qualify that? Where we honor, where we love, where we care, where we're kind. Yeah. Everybody say partners in life. Say partners in love. Let me give you the third and final thing and then we'll close. You guys having fun? I got some men that are really thinking. It's all right, guys. It's all right. I'm one of you. Just remember that. I, I get it. I want to talk about two lies. I'm going to give you this last thing. I'll close. Two lies. Number one, the first lie that we've got to overcome is things would be different if he. Things would be different if she. Let's always start with ourselves. Let me expose the second lie. Here's the second lie. The goal of marriage is happiness. That's not true. The goal of marriage is holiness. The byproduct of holiness is happiness. The goal of marriage is not happiness. The goal of marriage is holiness, growth in Christ. The byproduct of that is happiness. What happens if your wife or spouse or husband becomes incapacitated and they physically cannot give you anything? Are y'all with me? The goal of marriage is not first happiness. The goal of marriage is first holiness. The byproduct of holiness is happiness. Happy in Christ. Grateful. Let me give you this third and final thing and we'll close. You need to think about that thought all day long, all day long. Number three, partners in light. Partners in light. Let me give you this last scripture. Genesis chapter two, verse 25. And they were both naked, the Bible says, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Adam and Eve were able to walk openly, nothing hidden before God, before sin entered the garden. They walked in the garden, the Bible says, in the cool of the day. And and, and, and they, they enjoyed intimacy and relationship with one another, but they also enjoyed intimacy with God. 
But then when sin came in, stay with me. When sin came into that marriage relationship, sin, when there was a brokenness in their relationship with God, and then there became a brokenness in their relationship with one another, and then Adam started blaming her, God, the woman you gave me, and, and, and she blamed him, and, the, and then the next thing you know, the Bible re, they, says that, that they realized that they were naked and ashamed. Sin, sin, shame. Remember, sin, guilt, shame. Remember last week, sin produces guilt. Long-term guilt produces shame, and then hi, you hide, you hide. You hide. Why? Because you you got to go back to the sin issue. Let me tell you something. The foundation of a healthy marriage is spirit, soul, and body. Spiritually where we connect, emotionally, mentally we connect, and there's a physical connection. All three are important. That's why it's so important that we put God first in our marriage, that we put God first above everything else. Why? The spiritual life is so critical. Pastor, I want to have a good marriage. We got to put everybody say God first. Because when God's first, the sin has the ability, or God, God has the ability to cleanse the sin and wipe the shame. Because you're going to make mistakes, and I'm going to make mistakes, and we're going to make mistakes, and we're going to mess up. But, but, but if, we, if we run to God and we get to the light, my grandfather was a photographer, and we used to go into his, his dark, they had his dark room, you know, where they would develop the, the photos and all that years and years ago. And, and, and when, when it went, when it was in the light, things were different. It was a dark. How many know the devil develops bad things in a marriage in the dark? But when you get in the what? Everybody say it in the... Let me give you the number one way to live in the light in a marriage. The number one way. Here it is. The, the, not a, the. Pray together. Do you know how hard it is to cuss your spouse out and pray with them at the same time? I, it's impossible unless you're Cajun. No, but I'm just saying, I'm joking. I'm joking. And, I, and, I wanna, and I'm finishing up with this point. I, I'll admit, it's tough. It's tough for me sometimes. I've been to college. I've been to Bible college. I've been to seminary. Lord, have mercy. I'm a pastor 20 years in ministry, 25, 26 years. I, I mean, I decently know the Bible, not as good as somebody, but and sometimes it's just hard to pray with your spouse. Hard for me. I feel like saying, God bless.